Well, happy Sunday morning to you. We're wrapping up our series today, Be Rich. And we're going to be ending this series with inviting families to give uh, a number. Um, maybe uh, we're going to show that in a little bit. But if you've been around any like the time, we invite at the end of this series an opportunity for you and I to partner with our nonprofit partners. That is, they end the year well and start the new year well. We want them to go further, faster in reaching our community. And so we're going to provide that invitation in a little bit. But before we do, as we end this series, Be Rich, and we look into the next week, uh, when I was in Bible college, yes, that does exist, and that's a college that focuses on studying uh, the Bible, languages of the Bible, and theology. And this was before seminary, which is like the graduate program for biblical studies. I was given Micah 6.8 to preach on in our preaching class. And for those who grew up in church, I'm sure it's familiar to you. For those who didn't grow up in church, this may not be familiar with you. But I do believe this is something we all can rally behind. Like When we read it, we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? That, that makes a lot of sense. So here we go. This is Micah, God's prophet, God's spokesman to the people of Israel. He has shown you, O oh mortal. And what's a mortal? A mortal is you and I right? We don't live forever on this earth in these bodies. You and I are going to die and we're going to spend an eternity somewhere. And he's helping us understand that we have one life to live, right? We have one life, one shot. He says, he has shown you what is good. All right, so we have no excuse to waste this life because God has shown us what is good, what is right. And what does the Lord require of you? So the Lord requires three, of, three things from us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. When we think of justice, when we think of compassion, mercy, and when we think of humility, man, those are characteristics we look in people. Like right, all of us, man, we, we, we want to be treated with justice. We want to be shown mercy. And we all love humble people. And it's hard to argue with these three things. Man, we're attracted. We're inspired by people who live out these qualities. 
But apparently there's a manuscript that was discovered containing some additional text that doesn't show up in our Bible. Notice what it reads. He has shown you immortal what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Except during football and political season, you can act and react like everyone else. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's not it. No. I haven't seen this manuscript, but isn't that how it feels? Isn't that how it feels? It's easier to write people off. It's easier to call people nuts than it is to act justly, love with compassion, and live humbly before God. See, during political season, man, it seems like our culture waits for Christmas to practice justice, mercy, and humility. Like people have lost their ever-loving mind on issues that have already been decided on. In this season, it can be very difficult for churches like us because of our diverse backgrounds, which include po- politics and theology. Like we all don't see, we all don't see, we all don't see things the same way because we weren't all raised the same way. We haven't and don't experience life the same way. Aside from joking about rival sports teams like we do often here, different life experiences can lead to political and theological disagreements. And during the season, it's easier for us to find a group of people, a circle, who believes everything we believe. And it's easier for us to live in an echo chamber where everyone sort of is saying the same thing and we're kind of reaffirming what we believe than it is to practice justice, mercy, and humility in the tension of our disagreements. Man, for some of us, man, we are so focused on being right that we're willing to lose a relationship than we are with trying to make a relationship right. Jesus modeled justice and mercy and humility to religious leaders who were planning to execute him, who wanted him out of the way. He also did the very same thing to the Roman soldiers who represented an empire that oppressed his own people. Jesus lived in the tension, and he calls you and I to follow him, to live in the same tension, which means that we're going to find ourselves in, in disagreement when it comes to politics or when it comes to even some theological things. Our commitment to Jesus is tested when we practice mercy, justice, and humility in a culture that doesn't value those things. We live in a culture that is quick to cancel people. Without even, without even all the information, it's like, nope, you're dead. You're dead to me. Like, <clears throat> nope, I'm done. Guys, getting along with people who, who think like you, it's not amazing. It's expected. It's expected. Notice what Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? So basically, if you love those who love you, you're, you're loving them back, what do you get out of that? Are you not, I mean, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Like the worst of the worst, people who sold themselves out to Rome to tax their own people, they do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? And then he says, do not even the pagans do that? <laughs> 
people who don't even recognize God as God, they're nice to nice people. They love people who love them. He says, no, no, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let's not get tripped up the Lord perfect. You and I would never be perfect on this side of heaven. And that's okay. We need to grow in that direction. The word could be translated mature or be an adult. Meaning that we're maturing in our faith, which means that we're going to be leaving childish things behind. Like engaging in like-minded agreement with other people. When we begin to get along with people who think like us. Have you ever noticed kids? What, what do kids have a tendency to do? They gravitate with people who think like them, who, who always say yes to them. But in so many words, Jesus is saying, stop acting like a child and start growing. And Jesus is reminding the audience in his famous sermon that we're not commanded to agree with each other, but we're commanded to love each other by practicing these things, justice, mercy, and humility. And his, his audience would have been very familiar with the words that God used and gave to Micah for the people. And God is our example. Do you know that he, he, he moved in your direction in spite of your differences with him? You have a sin nature and he does not. You're imperfect. He's perfect. Yet he chose to move in your direction in spite of your differences with him, in spite of my differences with him. Like we're to move in the direction of those who don't think like us to share how God moved in our direction and saved us through Jesus' death and resurrection. See, this year's Be Rich is more important than ever. If you're new, let me explain Be Rich. Every year, we combine our resources to do corporately what we all do individually throughout the year. We give, we serve, we love in Jesus' name. And this is our opportunity to remind our community that everyone matters to God, whether or not God matters to them. And we call Be Rich based on what the Apostle Paul wrote. About 20-some years after the resurrection, this is what he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. This is someone he mentored, and as we understand the letter that he wrote, there are older people in that church. So with that in mind, this is what he writes to Timothy. Command. Notice what he writes. Command. Now Paul is telling Timothy, a young pastor, to command or to give an order. Now, knowing that his church is a wide demographic of ages. Let that simmer for a second. Like we give our kids orders, right? And for those who have served, you've received orders, right? And what happens when those orders are not accomplished? Yeah, so in other words, Paul is, is saying, listen, he uses the word because he's saying, listen, what I'm about to say is so important, so, so, so pay attention. And in being vulnerable, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with that word, especially with what he's about to instruct Timothy to address. Like as a pastor, I cannot control anyone in this room. Anyone watching online, I can't control you. I can't make you do anything. Nor do I want to emotionally manipulate people into doing something. In the same breath, this command is from God. 
what he's telling Timothy to command people to do, they should already know because God has required it from his people. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, there was a group, when he was writing this letter, there was a group, unlike other groups in the church, in this local church. They're landowners and shipowners. They were considered rich compared to others in the church. Farmers, fishermen, carpenters, and slaves. Now, notice that Paul doesn't write, if you feel rich, he says, you are rich. Now, it's a little bit hard for us to understand this in America because um, we just don't see this when it comes to the global perspective. The majority of Americans are rich by the world standards. So a net worth of $93,170 is enough to make you richer than 90% of people around the world. If you have just $2,400 or $4,200 to your name, you are wealthier and richer than half the world's population. Uh, Sometimes we don't understand how the world sees us. Uh, Andy Stanley wrote this. Financially speaking, the difference between you and Bill Gates is smaller than the difference between you and the average person living outside the United States. To most people, your bank accounts look virtually the same. In fact, years ago, Bill Gates traveled to India on a visit. So he's in a neighborhood outside of a large city, and he spent time conversing with an Indian woman in her hut. Through a translator, they discussed the state of health care and the other needs that her people faced. After he left, the journalist asked the woman if she recognized who he was, if she realized that she was sitting, she was talking with the wealthiest man in the world. Unfazed, she remarked that everyone who visits from the West is rich. In her eyes, the average American is so rich that she views them all the same. So he writes, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, the trap with money is to see it as everything as it never becomes enough, man. It, we, it puts our hope in money instead of God. And Paul says that wealth is uncertain, meaning that it's not a guarantee. It's so dangerous to put our hope in something that's not certain. The value of a dollar can change. Valuables could be stolen. Investments can drop. And our homes, over time, need repair. Instead, our hope needs to be placed in God who, who provides us the wealth, who provides us everything for our enjoyment. And our wealth doesn't originate from you and me. It originates with God. And God works out the variables and the circumstances that allow us to experience wealth. Like he allowed you to be born in this country. He allowed you to be having the job that you have. He allowed you all of those things. He has allowed you. Like in that context, when, when Paul's writing to Timothy, like all it took, all it would have took was a fire on the dock of the harbor and the ship owners would no longer have any source of wealth, any revenue. All it would take would be a drought to break out. And those farmers who rented the landowners couldn't use the land. God wasn't affected by the variables of a broken world. He, he's not. He's, he, he is not affected by the variables of this broken world. 
Like in that context, landowners and shipowners were commanded to place their hope and their faith and their dependence on God who didn't change, who wasn't affected by the variables of this broken world like they were. And yet this God had made promises that he would provide the needs of his people. God is the giver. Trust the giver instead of the gifts from the giver. In other words, we need to trust the giver and enjoy the gifts from the giver. And he continues, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. There's that intentional word again, command. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why does God give some of his children more than they need and others less than they desire? Randy Alcorn provides a really thoughtful response. He writes, so that he may use his children to help one another. He doesn't want us to have too little or too much. When those with too much give to those with too little, two problems are solved. When they don't, two problems keep going. God distributes wealth unevenly, not because he loves some of his children more than others, but so that his children can distribute it to their brothers and sisters on his behalf. Like you and I, we are to leverage our gifts, the things that God has given us, not just for our enjoyment, but for the benefit of other people. His gifts are to us, are to be meant to be shared because he shared the greatest gift to us. He gave us his son. You know, you and I, we reflect God's character when we are generous. We are the most like God when you and I give. And so this is where we challenge each other. There are three challenges this year as we head into another year of love, serve, and give. And we reflect the generosity that God has shown us. Man, that is the heart of the gospel. God was so generous to us. We are to be generous to others. When you love someone, you trust them, right? Like when you say, I love you, what you're saying in so many words is, I trust you, right? Why is it when it comes to God? Like we'll sing some songs, We tell God that we love him. But why is it that we're having a hard time trusting him? Love is, it seems like love is the starting point and trust is the ending point. Are we trusting him? And one of the things we challenged everyone to do sort of is to consider giving a percentage to the local church. We've talked about the 10-10-80 plan. We, we encourage people for two months to give a percentage of your income. And our commitment as a church is to give 10% of what comes in to our nonprofit partners and our church plants and our networks throughout the year. Once a year, we kick this off by asking every family who can to provide a one-time gift and whatever comes in goes directly to these nonprofit partners. Gwyneth's gift and the 516 Project. Now, the good news is after six years and inflation has hit us, it has not hit Be Rich. Be Rich means untouched, and we're asking everyone who can to give a one-time gift of $39.95 to cover big, several big projects between Gwyneth's gift and the 516 project. And this money helps with operating costs and program expenses and staffing costs and capital expenses and technology solutions. And look, look, these projects are game changers. And for our partners and the people they serve, they are life changers. And I I think we all know this to be true. The devotion to God is best demonstrated and authenticated through love of others. 
Like generosity toward others is the appropriate response to God's extravagant generosity to you and to me. No strings attached generosity had, had a ripple effect through the Roman Empire where the, 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 the little church outlasted the big, mighty Roman Empire. Why? Because of their lifestyle. Because they lived out the gospel. And I hope that our genera- generosity in Jesus' name has the same impact, same effect on our community. So just maybe give you some context. Over the last five years, here's how we've modeled Be Rich Financially. $109,134.52 has been given to vetted partners. The opportunities have included church planting in Virginia, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, Georgia, and Australia. Rescuing human trafficking victims. Supporting relief and recovery efforts in Texas, Virginia, Florida, North Carolina, Israel, and Lebanon. Supporting assistance for underprivileged and undereducated families in Spotsylvania. Providing Thanksgiving meals for over 100 families. Providing Christmas for over 50 families. Supporting local elementary schools and staffer with service projects. Scholarships for over 10 families to attend summer at the Ridge and reduce the cost of camp for over 200 families. In addition, our church has served over 2,000 hours serving our community over the last five years. That is incredible. Look, your fingerprints are all over this local, national, and global impact. And so what I'm asking for those online to do at this time, you are more than welcome to go to southridge.us. You'll see a gray button on the bottom left side of the screen. Feel free to click that and you're able to give to be rich. We're asking you to consider doing that, to make a change in this local community. For those of us in the room, this is an opportunity for you to pull out your phones or go to one of the kiosks where our volunteers are, and this is your step. This is your invitation to help change our community. Because remember, Everyone matters to God, whether or not God matters to them. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for this opportunity to model the gospel. We're incredibly thankful to model your generosity that you've shown us. We're able to give that to our community to let them know that, man, they matter to us, whether or not they, uh, you matter to them. So, Father, I'm asking that you would allow us to um, pray through the amount to give so that we can support this community. And Father, that in this moment now would have a ripple effect years down the road. And Father, all the cool things we've experienced over the last five years, that people still talk about us renovating the break room at Rocky Run. People still talk about us providing Chick-fil-A to the families down in Spotsylvania. God, thank you. For those moments. Thank you for allowing us to have a part of what's happening. In Jesus' name, amen.